for downloading our latest podcast from Cathedral of Praise Church in Rockhampton. You're about to hear another message from our senior pastor, Claude Bingleton. In the book of Romans chapter 11, uh, the apostle uh, writes these words and he's talking, of course, of Israel. But what he says here in the context in verse 16, if the first fruit is holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. In 1 Corinthians 15, 23, the Bible says that Christ is the firstfruits of them that sleep. 1 Corinthians 15, 23. And in this context, we would understand that because of his resurrection, we who believe in Jesus, who's entered into a covenant relationship with him, we are assured of our resurrection because of his resurrection. Christ, the first fruits. If the first fruits is holy, the lump is holy. In other words, because of first fruits, you can be assured of a coming harvest. That's the principle in the word of God. In Leviticus 23, without going there this morning, first fruits law is set down. And that is that they can't reap the harvest until they have offered the first fruits. You should read it for yourselves. You see, Christ, as I said, is our first fruits. And what the Bible is teaching us here is that the principle is that all blessings come from God. What has surprised me as Alva and I went to Manila, how the people would testify that God has blessed them in buying a car. God has blessed them in buying a house. God has blessed them in giving a job. It is amazing how when we see the natural things, not as a part of the blessings of God. We see the spiritual things, so to speak. Somebody's healed. Somebody's saved. Somebody um, has a revelation. Somebody uh, gets baptized in the spirit. We see those as spiritual things, as blessings from God. But Alva and I were surprised. Doctors, professional people, were all giving glory to God in testimonies on Sunday morning, just like in our church news announcement, people were giving testimonies to the glory of God, of God's blessing in their lives in material things. The scripture teaches clearly in Leviticus 23 that they, until they brought their first fruits, it was that they could not reap the harvest. And I want to talk about this this morning because you see, first fruits is the demonstration of the principle of putting him, him, him first. In Matthew 22, 37, 38, Jesus spoke about the principle of first fruits. Let's have a look at it in Matthew 22. In Matthew 22, Jesus said these words. Uh, the teacher said, uh, verse 36, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your, right? Uh, and this is the first and great commandment. The idea of first fruits is that we're saying, God, you're first. And Lord, we're looking for a harvest and we're believing for that harvest. Somebody say amen. It was that as I was thinking about and not preparing to go this way, that God began to speak to me and he said, son, the reason that my presence manifests is that you might have an anointing. The reason that my presence manifests to you, and I knew it, but I was hearing what he's saying, is that the reason that my presence manifests that there might come an anointing and a fresh anointing upon your life. 
For there are many anointings. There's many a freshness of an anointing and renewing of the spirit. And as I was listening to him, he said, I'm anointing you to see. Everybody say, see. Everybody say, see. You see, if you would turn with me, seeing is all important. Mark didn't know what I was sharing on this morning. So uh, we didn't uh, have a little conflab and say, what are you doing? This is what you ought to do. So come with me if you heard his word. But come with me, please, to John chapter uh, 4. Jesus is talking to this woman at the well. We understand this woman had been married five times. She must have been a woman of some uh, um, um, influence, even though she was at the well by herself uh, uh, fetching the water. Because when she went back into the town to give a testimony, the whole town came out to see who it was she was talking about, and it was Jesus. And as um, um, uh, the crowd began to come back to the well where Jesus was, Jesus said in verse 34, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. That was the scripture God gave me when I physically collapsed 29 years ago. Do you not know there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, Lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white and ready for harvest. If you would come with me, notice he said, I want you to lift up your eyes. I want you to see. If you come with me to the book of Genesis, in the book of Genesis chapter 15, Abraham being obedient to God goes into the land of promise. And being there, and after the great battle with the kings that had conquered Sodom and Gomorrah and giving a tithe of everything to Melchizedek, the great high priest, it was that the Lord comes to him and says, I'm your exceeding great reward. I'm your shield. I'm your exceeding great reward. At that time, Abram had no children. And he said, Lord God, what will you give me seeing I go childless? And an heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Eliezer was a great servant. And Abraham said, look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, this one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look now toward the heavens and count the stars if you're able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. And he believed in the Lord, and it has counted to him for righteousness. Do you notice that God began to speak to him and began to direct his attention to something to look upon and to count? When it is that you ask the Lord a question, and it's important that you learn to ask the Lord questions. It's important that you don't beg in your prayers. It's important that you communicate with God. It's important that you make time to communicate with God. Do you know people are too busy today to communicate with God? Or they say they're too busy. And God is not that busy. He's got time for you. He's got time for me. And we need to take time in his presence, not just to worship him, to get our heart in tune and to be open, to open our lives to him. But we need to talk to God and we need to ask God questions. And when you begin to ask God questions, God will begin to draw your attention to something. It was, as I shared with you last week, people can't see the seed for the need. 
And it was that the woman who, uh, whose sons were being sold into slavery because the husband led a huge debt. I hope you are wise husbands and will not leave debts for your families. I hope you have the proper insurance policies. I hope you have made out a will. I hope you've done the right thing. It's the honourable thing to do. And it's interesting because this man of hers was a prophet, but he didn't do the right thing. Just because the Spirit of God uses you is no indicator that you're right with God. Saul, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him and he prophesied he was turned into another man. But because he feared man, he disobeyed God and lost his kingdom. The Spirit of God may move on you and move through you, but it doesn't mean to say that your heart is right with God. There's an activity of God of wooing you, of drawing you to himself. Because somebody gives a message in tongues or prophesies or even stands in this pulpit, it doesn't mean to say that they are spiritual people, godly people. Those unctions and those functions have got to do with the Spirit of God manifesting. And God can use any vessel that he sows desire at any time that he wants to. Wow. But the interesting thing is that as you begin to understand this, this principle, that as you begin to ask God questions, God will draw your attention to things. This woman, she, she said, help me. And he said, what have you got in the house? And he, she, she said, ah, just a little jar of oil. Questions. You ask God, God will ask you questions to get your attention. The problem is we're so busy today, we don't ask God questions. And we need to. So Abraham was blessed. He, 318 servants led him into battle, conquered the kings, gave Melchizedek the tithe of everything. Says, uh, the Lord comes to him and said, I'm your shield, your exceeding great reward. He said, I don't have a son. Shall it be Eliezer or somebody else? He said, no, you, uh, somebody will come from your own loins. And he said, come with me. And he showed him the stars of heaven. He said, try and count them. That's what your seed's going to be like. And Abraham such, had such a relationship with the Lord that he believed him. What is God wanting to draw your attention to? What is it that you are, does he want you to see? You see, the Bible makes it very clear to us that, that understand that God will help us to see something naturally for a spiritual purpose and a spiritual reason. In Proverbs 29 verse 18, the Bible says this, without a prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint or live carelessly. God was giving to Abraham a prophetic vision. And when he saw it, he believed in God. Jesus was giving his disciples a prophetic vision. He said, don't say harvest is in four months time. Harvest is now. I find the Lord of hosts had an encounter with Joshua. Joshua had taken the place of Moses. They'd crossed the Jordan River. And um, it was that uh, Joshua, being the man he was, would have had his battle strategy in place. And um, being the man he was, he would have been uh, uh, um, um, thinking that the next day they're going to attack Jericho. And the Lord of hosts comes to him and Joshua puts his hand on his sword. He said, are you for us or, or against us? 
And the Lord said, take off your shoes. You're standing on holy ground. And so it was that he bowed his head and worshipped him. And the Bible says in chapter 6, verse 1, look at this, please. Now, Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. None went in or out. And the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have given Jericho into your hand. It's king and it's mighty man of valor. He's looking at this impregnable fortress and he says, see, I have given it to you. The Lord is trying to get our attention to see something in a natural world because of his spiritual purposes. And God is wanting us to see. Everybody say, see. You see, again, it was that, 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 that Jericho was one of 10 cities that Israel would conquer. And the Lord said, everything in the city is mine because the 10th is his. He said, every the city, and, and there was a man called Achan who stole a Babylonish garment and whatever. And there was a little town further along called Ai, and it was nothing like Jericho. So Joshua sent a few troops out to conquer the city, and they were defeated. And he was dismayed about it all. And the Lord said, well, the reason that you're defeated, there's sin in the camp. Somebody's stolen from me. And this is why you're defeated. And they found it, the man who did it, and he admitted it, and they dealt with it. And then it says in chapter 8 of this uh, wonderful book, Now the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid. Remember, they'd lost the battle. Do not be dismayed, but they got it right. They did what had to be done. Take all the people of war with you. Arise and go up to Ai and see that I have given into your hand the king of Ai, his people, this city, and this land. God wants you to see it. Everybody say, God wants me to see it. Without a prophetic vision, when God speaks, God wants to give you vision. God wants you to see something. One of the saddened things in life is that spiritual people are spiritually blind because of their greed. They're spiritually blind because of this materialistic world that they're living in. Spiritually blind, they can't see what God has for them. And it's interesting to me as I read these scriptures and be challenged by it, I find over and over again, the Lord is speaking about us to see what he has given to you. When you consider why does God's presence manifest and cause us to see? When God's presence manifests and causes us to see, he causes us to see what he sees. And everywhere I look in scripture, what God sees, are you ready? This may not be your experience, but what does God see? God sees abundance. God sees abundance. It's interesting to me as I begin to be stirred in my heart, I find that many times it's so easy for me as a minister of the gospel, as the pastor of this church and in my own personal life to put limits on my vision. It's so easy for me to put limits on what God wants me to see. The Apostle Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 
chapter 3. Now you're saying to me, Pastor, this is not my experience. I'm not interested so much in where you're at, but where God wants to take you to and what God wants you to see. Everybody say, Lord, I want to see what you see. Turn with me, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. In this passage of Scripture, um, um, it's very challenging, but nevertheless, we need to hear it. Have you ever read any Scriptures that challenge you? Good. Do you only read that which doesn't challenge you? Do you only read that which is possible? Do you read also what is impossible with man? Does it stir your heart? Listen to this because it's important. The Apostle Paul says here, let no one boast in men for all things are yours. Everybody say all things. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all are yours. And you are Christ and Christ is God. Do you see, we have a tendency to put limits on our vision. But God sees things that we don't see. But he wants us to see what he sees. I think one of the challenges that we have in life is that people confuse the difference between gifting and anointings. That one of the challenges is because of this, most people set their goals in life and their direction in life according to their gifting. Now, we've all gifted differently. Gifting has got to do with our DNA. I wish I had the intelligentsia of some of the people in this house. I think that there are some, uh, some brilliant, clever people. I mean, gifted in God. When I, think of, when I think of you fellows who are doctors, our Filipino doctor, Gerard, I think of, I think of Darren Islin, I think of Mark Prado, an engineer of design, and wow. You know, and, and I think, and you know, I think of me. And I think, oh, if only I was as intelligent as these men. But many times we see people with great giftings in their life and God has greatly gifted them. And their, their giftings are, are wonderful, but people set their goals in life and their direction in life according to their giftings. And that's understandable. But a person's gifting has to do with their DNA, their intelligence, their ability. And that gift is theirs regardless of their character. If a person's got a certain gifting and a, and, and, and a certain calling, I want you to know they might be a success in the natural world. They may make lots of money. They could rise to uh, great heights in the business world or whatever field whatever calling that they might come to. It's just their natural gifting and ability. Say, yes, pastor. And we understand that. And then you look at you and me. And we may not rise as high simply because we don't have that level of gifting. And I just admire people with great gifts. I get disappointed with people who have got great gifts and don't use them. I think, oh, what a waste of gifts. And you know, when our kids come to our school, it's my great desire that these gifts will be unearthed within them and they'll begin to recognize that under the teaching and the anointing of the Spirit, those gifts in their life will begin to come forth and they'll begin to realize how, uh, uh, what their ability is and what they can do. 
But that gift is there regardless of their character and it is developed with education and training. And because of such, their giftings may open many doors. But God would show you things not because of your gifting but because of his calling. Because of his purpose. And what it helps you to see because of his calling and his purpose is the anointing. Everybody say the anointing. God's presence manifests that he might anoint us. You see in 2 Timothy 1.9 the Bible says he hasn't called us because of our works. He's called us according to his purpose. And God will allow us to see things according to his calling and purpose. Many people put limits on their vision. And I understand that because they don't feel they have the capacity. And I'm not boasting when I say this. And I'm not trying to be humble. I'm just telling you a factual reality. That if the Lord would have showed me when I first came to Rockhampton in 1975, what we would achieve and what we would accomplish and what it is that I'd be responsible for today, I would have left town. But you see, it's not according to ability, it's according to calling and purpose. And according to calling and purpose, there comes an unction, there comes an anointing. And that's what the scripture talks about. And you can achieve a lot in your giftings, but you can achieve more in your calling, his calling and purpose because of unction. Everybody say unction. It's the anointing of the spirit. The Bible says that all things are yours. Everybody, I want you to say it out loud. All things are mine. This is what Paul's talking about. He said, don't put a limit on your vision. You know, the Bible says in Psalm 78, if you'd come with me there quickly, in Psalm 78, they limited the Holy One of Israel. Who would like to be accused of limiting God? How would you like a testimony? I mean, when my time is done, I pray that people won't think about me as saying he limited God. Have a look at this passage of scripture in Psalm 78 and reading it in the, in the context of, of, from verse 40. How, they often, how often they provoked him in the wilderness and grieved him in the desert. Yes, again and again they tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. They did not remember his power the day when he redeemed them from the hand of the enemy. They limited God. Everybody, raise your right hand with me in this house, quickly, if you're a Christian. Say, I will not limit God. Or say it out loud, Lord, I will not limit you. You might have trouble believing what he's going to show you, but you need to say it first up. Lord, I'm not going to limit you. I don't want to put limits on you. They limit him. You know, Jesus couldn't do any, many mighty miracles in his hometown because of their unbelief. They limited him. You see, if you would consider Psalm 84, 11 and 12, listen to this passage of Scripture. 11 and 12, it says here, uh, uh, 84, yes, yeah, sorry, wrong verse. It says here, um, um, the Lord is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those 
who walk uprightly. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. No good thing will he withhold from them who walk uprightly. Come with me. You know, I hear people quoting this verse all the time, and I have a tendency to quote it too in Jeremiah 29. But you need to read it in its context where it says in verse 11 to 14, I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me and I will listen to you. Because God has thoughts about you that are about peace and not evil to give you a future and a hope, you go and pray to him. And he says, and as you're praying to me, because you know I've got thoughts about you that are for good and not for evil, for thoughts of peace and a future and a hope, then you will pray to me and you will seek me and find me when you search with me. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. To find out more about our church or to hear this message in full, you can purchase or download a copy from our website at www.copchurch.com.au.